Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. I know no one's too fired up today, but it is the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, with you guys here covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. And on today's show, we'll assess the tape and find out what the hell went wrong. In a 48-20 loss up in Buffalo, examine the big plays, give you the top five tapes, general notes, key stats and snap counts, and Mike McDaniel, as well as Alec Ingold commentary from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Some news items for you guys to kick this off. Teron Armstead will miss the game this coming Sunday. Coach said it was more about a week's rather than day's type of prognosis, and they'll find out more on Friday about where his long-term prognosis will be. He will not play Sunday, but he will play again this season per head coach Mike McDaniel. Some good news, Jalen Phillips and Connor Williams were close to getting onto the field on Sunday. Hopefully both of those guys come back stronger than ever against the New York Giants on Sunday. Let's dive right into this tape here because it wasn't a lot of fun. It wasn't a fun Monday for your boy. Last Monday, pretty fun. I was pretty much rolling off of adrenaline and co- coffee for that tape and really the first two tapes of the year also. And today we come down a little bit. There's always a come down after the coffee high, and that's this week apparently on the podcast. Let's go ahead and talk about the big plays and... I was thinking about breaking down some of the negative big plays, but we'll do plenty of that in the rest of the podcast here. The touchdowns, I think, are worth looking at here. Number one, just wanted to note that both Rob Hunt and Austin Jackson had pancakes on A-Chan's first touchdown run. We'll get into the design of that play later on in the podcast, but that's the execution portion of it. The right side of the line gets two pancakes, and A-Chan makes the backside one technique miss at the point of attack, who got off of Isaiah Wynn's block, a pretty frequent occurrence in this game as far as guys getting off blocks on the Dolphins' offensive line, and A-Chan made him miss in the gap. So impressive work from him and the right side side and Liam Eikenberg had a pretty good block on that play as well more on him in a moment second touchdown is more great action with Tyreek giving the defense a lot to look at lots of eye candy and pulling second level defenders out of their position and then it's pure speed it's a seal from Durham an excellent down block from Tehran and a pancake block from Jalen Waddle at the three yard line who gets up beating his chest more on him in a moment and we're going to get to Tua because I thought he played you know, well after watching the broadcast. I'm even more impressed after watching the tape. But his touchdown pass, man, third and long in the red zone. Windows are never tighter than when you're down there. We go trips to the field against a four-man diamond look in terms of the coverage, which is an advantage for the strength of the passing defense, right? Three on four. Tyreek runs the hookup right at the sticks, and that's great design because typically teams are going to crash on that, and Buffalo crashed on him all day long, and there's some meat on the bone to react to that. We'll talk about in a moment as well. And then you have Waddle to the flat, which more eyes go to 10 and 17, put those guys in positions to pull the defense away from an area. And then you have two defenders playing inside and inside leverage, like inside of the entire formation. And two of his hands separate when Berrios is still inside the numbers as he's running that corner route. He's just starting his break to the corner. The safety is up top and still getting depth, which if he's getting depth and flips those hips and makes an Ed Reed play, maybe there's a play on the football to be had there. But the quick release of Tua and the football being right on his face mask, man, that was some high, high, high level quarterback play. Great route from Berrios, Waddle and Reek as well. Really good front side pass protection from Kendall Lamb and Isaiah Wynn. And then a recovery rep from Austin Jackson after he lost the rep initially. More on that in a moment. The last big play, A-Chan's big run. 
excellent, excellent work from both Rob Hunt and Austin Jackson staying on blocks and riding the entire wave down the line on that outside carry. Really good efforts from Cedric Berrios outside in the perimeter getting blocks. Every time you have a big run, there's going to be a receiver making a good block down the field. You get a good seal inside from Smythe. And even Liam had a good block on this play, too. More on all of that here shortly. Let's go ahead and start, though, as we do with the top five tapes. And for the fourth consecutive week, Tua makes the top five. And he's the top tape on this one, which I believe he was my top dog tape at least two of the four games. I forget where he was in the Patriots game. I think it was like two or three in the Patriots game and like number two in the Denver game, but I digress. But he's my top tape here. I came away from this game very, very impressed. I think it showcases yet another myth buster, if you will, that Tua is just a first-read quarterback, right? Take that away. He's got nothing else. And the great Joe Marino posted this stat from one of the analytics websites. I forget. I apologize for not crediting. I'm usually better than that, but there's so many these days. About how Tua in weeks one through three threw to his first read 80% of the time. And in this game, he threw to his first read just 57% of the time. So Buffalo had a great plan, had a great uh, scheme to force the Dolphins off that first read. And I thought Tua really responded well and played pretty well. Yeah, he had some misses. Yeah, the guy on Twitter told me he had a pick. He, he threw a drop pick, which I guess you can't have a good game if you put the ball in harm's way twice which Tua did in this game, Um, but he consistently found the backside, and that's not even just the second read. Like, you often have a one-two read, like read low to high, inside to out, whatever the case may be in terms of your progression to one side of the field, and then you come back to the backside, and that's when you get to 3-4 or 2-3, 2-3-4. Sometimes you get to 5. It just uh, depends on the different concepts you have, but the near interception off Raheem Mostert's hands, he gets pressure right down the middle and has to fall back while throwing this sort of blind shot. And he's got the right man. The accuracy was just off a tad. And as it was on, I think, I think four plays in this game, I'll, I'll give him, uh, you know, off target throws. But think about that. Wanting accuracy on four out of 35 throws, that's about what you get from the best quarterbacks each week in the NFL. I want to go ahead and play this sound from you real quick here from Coach McDaniel on Tua because I asked him about that stat, getting to your second read. And Coach does a good job here of going over some of the highs and lows for Tua, but also why he loves coaching this quarterback because he can take those errors as he's done in the past, that Ravens game last year, forcing the ball down the field on that Marcus Williams pick and then coming back after that and throwing five more touchdown passes in the game after that. When Tua puts bad stuff on tape, you typically don't see it again more than once or twice. And Coach will answer this question regarding, first off, the Bills' ability to take away the first read. And he com- he really commends the way the Bills' game plan came out and did a good job of trying to take away those options for two in the passing game. Here's Coach. You know, the, those games, you can't necessarily control that. Um, there, there was sometimes, like, in this league, offensively or defensively, if you are determined – um, to take something away, um, they'll they'll find a way. And there was uh, multiple times that he he did progress um, a couple plays that were in in clinic fashion. So the, those, particularly when you get into a one sided um, game where you're behind a little bit and you're passing and getting a little off schedule, um, you know, on first and second down, that can happen. You have you end up throwing the ball more and that you become a little bit more predictable in that way. So um, we we needed him to be able to progress. I think he did real well on some plays. There's a couple that um, I know one interception and then the tipped ball that uh, Jalen caught um, are were progression plays that 
um, he would like to be better on for um, various reasons. So uh, it was a – I was really happy with how he approached the, the game, um, how he executed a vast majority of things that he did. And then, you know, the great thing about two is that you can – for me, in our relationship, I can just literally coach him on the things that he's not good at and don't have to worry about it making him worse um, because he's going to use it all um, to, to make sure he improves moving forward. So going back to that first drive, on the very next play, I'm just so impressed by this. You get a levels or a layers concept, and that's basically where you play action boot and you flood the one side of the field with all your routes. And if they're in zone, it can typically leave someone guarding grass on the backside, and then you just overwhelm their zone coverage by going a short option, intermediate option, and deep option up the top. And with boot action on this play, you know, we've seen him hit that layer, the first one, like a million times, a little flat route, like whether it's Durham Smythe leaking out, the, the running back, or sometimes it's a, you know, a slot receiver, but just finding a way to get the ball to that area. But they cover it on this, and Tua, with a free runner coming downhill right towards him, uh, pumps and, and continues to get space and, and width out wide, and Tyreek's coming over to that second level from the backside, and he just throws his absolute dart on the move while taking a hit, and the ball is 22 yards down the field on a dot, man, that's high-level stuff in terms of the way he processes, and then you have these physical traits really shining through this season as well. And then the first play on the very next drive, the second touchdown drive of the game, the second drive of the game, I mean, you get another look where it's two wide, two backs, and then Durham Smythe is in there basically pass protecting, and the backs run, and actually Coach is going to break this down on the Mick breakdown coming up this week. I, I was very happy this is the play that I was most excited about and the play he was most excited about, and the – Raheem is the first back, and he runs a clear-out route like a wheel up the sideline. And then A-Chan comes across the formation and occupies the flat, so you have your high-low stretch there. And then on the back side of the formation, there's only one route, and it's Waddle on this dig, which is about 15 yards down the field, cut across the middle of the field and catch the pass that we've seen this offense you know, excel with so many times. And then back to the strength of the passing formation where Raheem and Achan ran the clear-out stuff. Tyreek runs down the seam 100 miles an hour and then turns back around for the little hook curl action. And Tua wants to go waddle to the wide side, to the field, the back side of this, uh, the weak area of the field, not the strength, the weak. And it's taken away. The Matt Milano gets depth and just completely wipes away that opportunity, which, you know, Fred Warner, Matt Milano, these linebackers, those are the guys that we have to keep an eye on for this Dolphins offense going forward. Those are typically the players that make us have our least amount of success, like we saw in this game offensively, but it's taken away. So what does Tua do? He immediately gets off that read. You see the helmet snap back to the backside of the formation, or I guess the strength of the formation, and <laughs> this hands start to separate on a hook route 20 yards down the field while the uh, defender is underneath Tyreek. He's underneath him, and he's throwing this anticipation, understanding of the offense and where the ball, when the ball gets there, what the picture looks like then compared to what it looks like now, the timing, the accuracy, second read. Man, that's great stuff and a great sign for your quarterback going forward. Now, Buffalo did a lot of interesting stuff here, and I think if teams want to copy that, you're going to have to commit to the run more. I know the scoreboard kind of took you out of that in this game, which I don't think will happen too frequently. I mean, we don't have any... This is the most explosive offense that you're going to see the rest of the season. Uh, Kansas City doesn't have the weapons on the perimeter anymore. Like, it's pretty clear at this point of the year. The Eagles, I think, are that level as well. But beyond that, maybe Dallas in Week 16, it's a ways away. But... 
Buffalo put together a blueprint with this particular uh, personnel grouping that you can uh, you can take it away. It's akin to the Niners last year. Let those those linebackers getting that 12, 15, 18 yards worth of a drop. That's something you need to come up with a solution for because teams are going to try it, and you have to have the athletic linebackers to make it happen. But this is where I think I would knock to his performance a little bit, though I'm not entirely sure I can pinpoint how the progression on some of these go. But there are chances to find some guys open backside when he's pulling the trigger frontside. And the reason I say that with hesitation, like if he deems the one to be open, you're never going to see a quarterback see his one or two open and not throw it. Like that's not how you're taught to play the position at all. And so you can't really fault him for not getting to an open three or four when he's deemed one or two to be open. If there are errors there, sure. Like if it's not, you know, if the ball shouldn't have gone to the one, but typically he finds these guys when they're open. I just think you have to have a counter to that because, you know, the way the the Bills play this is they would like flow and take guys from the backside that they know, you know, if Tua can see the number one open, they'll pull guys off of that and get more bodies into the strength and take bodies away from the weakness. And that's where you saw Waddle uncover. That's where you saw a couple of guys get open that were never really part of the first side of the progression. And it looks like they're open on tape, but like I said, you can't really fault the quarterback for that. But like, for instance, one of them was the 25-yard dot on the wheel to Raheem between two defenders. Like, he hit that ball perfectly. It was a fantastic throw. But you had Alec Ingold from a one alignment, the furthest receiver out, run this little slant inside, like a little glance route, and Tua just never thought about it. And there was a couple instances where they had that open, and maybe now that it's on tape, you can have that option. Maybe it wasn't part of the game plan originally, but I think there's some chances to have some counter to what Buffalo did in this game. And I thought what Buffalo did its best to contain Tua was with combination coverages where guys would peel off from what looks like man and how they would trail and flow, but then just peel back and camp in a zone. Like Tua was late on a throw to the sideline to Tyreek, I think on the second drive, the one where he didn't get his feet down where it looked like he did, but he was on the white on the chalk. And you just see Tua double clutch before the throw as Taron Johnson is wheeling off an underneath man to get that depth. That's really good defense. So sometimes you just tip your cap. I know Dolphins fans don't like to do that. Like if we lose, it's because we're terrible and we can never win a game again in the possible next 50 years but sometimes they play good defense and for Tua here like I understand the trepidation of not throwing that football because you know Taron Johnson has a knack for taking that ball away or Micah Hyder he didn't play in this game but Jordan Poyer there's guys that have made those plays in this Buffalo defense many many times and I can understand why there would be hesitation there but if you can start really mastering this thing and getting the feel of what that looks like you can counter off of that and make plays I think against that like there was a really good trap coverage they ran where uh, Barrios ran a speed out and the number one receiver to that same side ran a clear out, but it didn't clear the defensive back out. He just camped and put a big hit on Barrios. I know my go- my guy OJ McDuffie hates that because that happened to him in his career a few times where the quarterback throws what is basically a hospital ball. You can't have those, but like they just disguised it well and they got him. Like I can't fault the quarterback for just getting got a few times by a good defense. It happens. The Jets got Mahomes a billion times last night. It just happens sometimes, man. But Moving on here, how about that third down scramble to move the sticks? Damn, damn, Daniel. You know, Daquan Jones wins really quick inside with a one-on-one pass rush against Rob Hunt. And Rob hasn't had these in the regular season. They were once a game in the preseason, but he just got whipped. And so that D tackle's coming right down the barrel for a shot on Tua. And I have a screenshot on my phone. I'm not going to post it because I can't, but Tua is dead to rights. Like he is swallowed up by this 320-pound man and just whoop just skates alongside and third and five goes and gets the sticks and runs for a first down. That was some, 
uh, Keanu Reeves. What's his freaking name and the replacements? Uh, Shane Falco. Some Falco stuff there, man. The pick was just out of character, I thought. He had a shorter option open, but we're down 14 with just 20 minutes to go in the game. And McDaniel has mentioned this a few times, how Tua, you know, and the team in general has pressed before, like last year. And my guess is that's what happened here. A little bit anxious, bad decision, bad ball, turnover. Whatever it happens, three picks in four games. If Tua throws 12 picks this year with, you know, the 40 touchdowns he's going to throw, we're going to be just fine. So he's first in passing yards. He's first in yards per pass. He's second in quarterback rating, second in uh, passer rating. He's second in EPA per play. He's first in a million other categories. That performance against that defense is winning football. He just didn't get enough help from his friends. He was one for two throwing the ball 20-plus yards down the field. And again, Buffalo had, like, Every play was different coverage, a different look. There were some three safety looks where they'd wheel out and, and the Tampa two-backer would flip and invert with the middle guy and they would run combo hybrid you know, zone versus man coverages and they just, man, they were in their bag in that game. So just two throws beyond 20 air yards with the INT as well. He was 9 for 11 in the intermediate with 157 yards and a touchdown pass. So very good there. Under pressure, not his usual sharp self. Two for eight, 30 passing yards. And when blitzed, he was five for eight with 61 yards. So that's the good. That's the quarterback. We have four more tapes I liked to get to. Get to. We'll do that next, but we'll come back also and talk about plenty of stuff that was not so good in this game, especially on defense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Before we get to top tapes two through five, I want to go ahead and play some audio for you all here from the captain, Alec Ingold. He had a phenomenal press conference on Monday where he just kind of gave us some perspective. And I feel like the fans need to hear some of this perspective from the players because one of the nice parts about being in the building compared to just being like a fan on the outside was like, you know, I'm kind of riding the emotional roller coaster with y'all back in those days. But like when you see how these guys kind of take certain things and react to them, like it's just... Like, they're going to be okay. It's going to be fine, guys. I promise it's going to be fine. Here's Alec Ingold on the kind of temperature of the room in terms of the locker room and just where the guys are at today. Guys took a lot of coaching today, which was needed. And, man, it's a, it's a good wake-up call for, for the whole team to be accountable and to continue to improve. So the standard doesn't change. The standard doesn't waver. And it's kind of just showing up, uh, working to find ways to get better and improve. Um, a cool thing I think we covered in our room was, you know, anytime you're in a result-based business or industry, um, there's expectations, there's potential, and then there's what you put out on tape. And that gap that is bridged between the two changes every single week. And the challenge for a lot of guys in the room is balancing, remembering who we are, what we've done in the past, what we just did. Uh, and continuing to find ways to close that gap towards the potential, the expectation, the the standard in the room. And, you know, honestly, that's not going to – that gap will never close. You never arrive towards that full expectation, that full um, standard. But finding ways to continuously close that gap, the wins, the losses, the good and the bad, um, the applause, the criticism, being able to use all of that to continuously close that gap is – is the challenge for the guys in the room and to not lose any focus um, and just continue that that improvement. So my second top tape from this game was Devon Achan, and how can it not be? I don't think it's that complex with him here. He just fits that slashing running style that Coach talked about. Is it last week or two weeks ago? 
does a great job of pressing the defense and creating urgency where he can then change direction at the last moment and just doesn't get squared up all that often. And when he does that, he doesn't lose acceleration. And then I love how he doesn't mess around with hitting it up in the crease. Like if he sees a spot where he has to bury his nose and take his three or four yards, he does it. He's not that scat back that just searches for home runs every single play. I think you saw all the skills he offers in that long run too, the 55-yarder. It's just so damn impressive, man. He, he pushed, pressed the hole, found a little cutback lane and made it and then was off to the races. And he runs away from guys. That's my favorite part about this running back. He had 72 more yards after contact in this game. Good for an average of nine on the day. He's averaging 6.93 yards after initial contact and has 11 missed tackles forced on 27 carries this season. My third top tape, Austin Jackson. Hey, how about Austin Jackson? Four games now. I think it's a pretty good sample size to say that things have clicked for this dude. He looks really good. Even on some reps where he loses initially, he still recovers and gets the job done. And then his work and space in the running game is as consistent as anything on this football team. He had a pivotal block on the long A-chan run. I'm getting A-chan down, by the way. He was put in some tough spots, like the first play of the second half. We are double wise to his side. So there's a long runway because the edge wants to rush around both those tight ends. Wise are, are attached tight ends to the formation. So you have Austin, tight end, tight end, and then the edge is outside of those two guys. So it's a long runway he has to work up and get speed to put his pass rush on Austin. And initially he gets around Austin and it kind of looks like one of those previous Austin reps. But then he recovers and busts his butt to get back into shape for a good angle. And he lays out to shove the edge around our quarterback. That's the kind of urgency and effort I need to protect this guy. Because if that guy's healthy, we're going to win 13 freaking games this year. 157 pass block snaps this season. One sack, two hits, eight total pressures. That's a PBE, a pass block efficiency of 97. Go get him, Austin. Proud of that guy. Number four, Jalen Waddell. I know you're going to say, Travis, he caught four for 46, but don't. Watch the tape for stats. He was getting open on most of the immediate pressure plays, and he was just kind of the guy that got screwed because of the fact that we couldn't get the ball out in time. And he was, you know, or he was getting open when the ball was already out, already out hot, like I'm talking about when he's the three to the backside and they're getting the ball to the one or the two front side. And you can see him kind of voice some of his frustration. I think there's some elements of force in the ball to Tyreek that probably come into play there. More on that in a moment. But like on the fourth down sack, for instance, Waddle uncovers at the exact moment that the blade blitz gets in and gosh, he, he blocks his butt off too, man. His pancake on the second HN touchdown run was absolutely awesome. I just love the way he plays. And he got paid off later with some targets. I love the big catch he made on the opening drive of the third quarter. He runs a switch release with, I think it was Tyreek, and he's working against outside leverage and still gets there to the outside for an accurate ball outside the numbers. I thought he was just open more than his target suggested. The two-point conversion would have been a walk-in for him if we didn't throw the immediate fade, which... I mean, it worked in week one, but fades to Tyreek, you know, I don't know. Who am I? Uh, the route he ran on his touchdown that was awesome, that one got wiped away. But another case of him getting to the place the leverage of the defense wants to prevent him from getting to, and Tua gives him a great ball to go make that play. I think he easily could have had like seven for 100 in this game if we just would have found him more. And I, I think there's some force in the football to Tyreek that we could get away from a little bit. Waddle needs to be involved more. That's all there is to it for me. I think the reaction to that to the deep drops 
that teams are playing is him on some mesh and some drag, some shorter stuff in underneath the linebackers. And then Tua on the scrambles, man, like the more that he can win with his legs, the more we can maybe pull up that second level of defense and force them to have something else to contend with. Just thinking about concepts and ideas to beat that deep drop that, you know, sinking linebackers, things that teams have played to take away some of our bread and butter. My fifth favorite tape is Andrew Van Ginkle. I honestly didn't really have a fifth here. I thought about X or Van Ginkle. I wanted to give one guy on defense some shine, even though maybe it's tough to find. But I mean, Van Ginkle's I just told you I'm not going to look for box score. Now I'm going to tell you that I'm looking at box score. Two sacks, four pressures, three run stops. That's pretty damn productive. Even though I thought he lost his rush lane integrity a few times, he offset that with the way he anticipated and played the game in the backfield pretty thoroughly. So those are your top five tapes. Let's go ahead and pick this up here uh, with the offensive notes. And, you know, I thought there were some instances of, let's just say, guys not playing 100 miles an hour at all times, routes that kind of got lackadaisical on the back end. It's an issue, man. Yeah, you can't play like that. You can play every snap 100 miles an hour. I raved about it on the Sunday pod, but man, the creativity down in the red zone is just awesome. Scheming up touchdowns there is something that will translate week after week. You know, sometimes you need guys to go win a matchup, but when you can generate walk-in touchdowns with scheme, it's a massive, massive advantage. And the Dolphins had nine consecutive red zone touchdown trips uh, trips that resulted in touchdowns at one point of this game going back to last week. That's the most ever for the team. So, like, pump the brakes on, like, the sky is falling, you know? But um, Tyreek on that first orbit motion had four second-level defenders moving in the opposite direction of where the A-chan run went. It creates advantageous angles for your linemen and makes the reads for the running back much more easy to make. And then the same situation on the second touchdown. Tyreek action on the fake after the jet sweep to A-chan, you get serious flow and false steps going that direction. We had some more great run action off play pass to create some clean pockets for Tua on the two touchdown drives early. Thought we got away from that a little bit, but good to see early on in the game. And man, every snap, the Bills just showed something different, like a great plan varying your looks. We could probably take a note out of that playbook that and Taron Johnson like damn he is good there were a couple of plays where he would vacate his backside coverage and just take off to the passing strength like on the play where Waddle looked open uh we're backed up against our own goal our own goal line and Taron Johnson is there he just anticipates it and goes early it's the same thing we praise the snowman for all the time just being really aware of the situation and the space around you he's a great great football player and he made a bunch of great plays um to a pre-snap on that play has four on two to that side that's almost an automatic checklist in your mind like I'm not going there they have us outmanned by two guys and even still Johnson doesn't make the play and it's probably a conversion to Raheem with a good ball just wasn't a good ball but they constantly had looks like that where they would peel guys off the backside I think the last note I have here is they just played a variety of coverages that we kind of played into the near white interception they rolled three deep and had the cloud corners drive underneath the short stuff but our routes wound up going into that deep hook right into their backers so Tua created and threw us to Cedric Wilson and by the way, come back to the freaking ball, man. What are you waiting for? But White had eyes on Tua, jumped it, and should have had a pick six right there. So bad bad on Tua, uh, one of the, the four or five plays I didn't like from him. Now, there were some good counters. We had a couple of those quick square ins in quick game to get like three verticals uh, kind of running off that middle-level shell. And I'm excited to see what the staff comes up with in terms of a, a response to that because I think there's some space underneath that to attack. And speaking of counters, 
You know the run action where the guard pulls and seals the edge? It looks like we adjusted to some of that interior pressure they were having all day long by having Rob kind of pull up inside to pick up the, you know, the linebackers or the D tackles that were kicking our butts all day. And just as we did that, the Bills sent an extra rusher off the edge to get a free run and a hit on two that leads to an incomplete pass. They just dialed up good stuff at the right times all day long. The eligibles, let's break these guys' game down real quick. Raheem continues to catch passes in a way that makes me think we should do it more. You know, with the ball as a route runner and, of course, contested catch, he's been pretty damn good all the way around. That little hesitation step he had on a catch and run for a first down on the sideline, he's just so good at setting up tacklers to, to miss, like to make a move and make them miss. But the ball security, man, you got to put that thing away. And then he's a vet, and he'll correct it. And he did it in that game, but I thought it made him think and slow down a step after that fact. They did a good job disrupting Tyreek at the line of scrimmage. Some of his releases were way too elongated and wasn't conducive for the timing of the offense. It feels weird to say this, but Tyreek had a bad game. Let's actually go to coach here real quick and hear how the Bills took away Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and just kind of how teams play the Dolphins in favor of trying to find ways to get 10 and 17 out of the game. You know, like most teams, everybody has a plan um, for that. And generally, it, it, it involves either a complete coverage commitment or a double. And, you know, what happens is, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why it, they, they are just as dependent upon the run game is the quarterback, is the offensive line, um, you know, they're dependent on me to, to, you know, call a good game. And, and when you get in situations where you're behind and guys can kind of predict pass, they can play softer coverage that takes, takes the ball away from you, um, you know, outside the numbers uh, with a corner and a safety and then inside the numbers with sinking backers and, and such. So um, that's not, not something that uh, we hadn't seen we just hadn't, uh, you know, it's tough when you get into those situations um, and you're behind several scores uh, to, to really dictate the terms the way that we like. And, um, you know, I, I think they, they, the Bills did a great job adhering to their game plan, and they didn't take anybody away with one or two individuals. It was a, it was a team commitment um, that, you know, when you, when you keep – you know, 15-yard plays from being 30-yard plays, and you stop 12-yard runs and make them three-yard runs, um, it has a residual effect that they deserve all the credit in the world for. And so I keep talking about this tape, right, all these things this tape has shown you, and I was curious to ask Alec Ingold, because I know he's going to give me a great transparent answer, like, you guys didn't want really to have this until like week 12 last year. Does it help? You know, never is good to lose a game, but does it help to have it on tape now week number four so you have some time to get some answers for it? Here's the Dolphins fullback. No doubt. I think once again, I go back to the fact that if you're constantly closing that gap, um, you're able to find out with adversity how you're able to use that to your advantage, how you're able to use these opportunities to learn, to take tough lessons, to introduce guys to the rest of the team, right, and show your true character and how you respond to those adverse moments. So I think it's a great opportunity to show up on a week five game. There's going to be a little saltiness around going around, but um, the way that guys are able to trust each other, come together, go to work after a loss, a tough loss, an embarrassing loss like that, and be able to move forward uh, is really important for the rest of the season. It's a long season. Uh, you're three and one at the quarter, and you're able to use a, a tough loss like that and see how guys respond to it. So I think it's a great opportunity for everyone in the room to kind of 
get to know the guy next to him a little bit more and get in the foxhole a little bit. Uh, back to the individuals, Braxton Berrios continues to show up in the right spots for me to make the first man miss. And look, I know it's tough when you don't have definitive evidence, but Berrios had the marker on that play, man. He did. And maybe I wasn't as upset at the time because our defense was just getting ran over to you know, not getting stops in a two-score game. But man, you get a first down there and plus territory down by two touchdowns. Maybe you go score a touchdown and you're down by seven going into the fourth quarter. Who knows how the game changes? Probably not, but you never know. Uh, offensive line in general, I just didn't think it was our best game. Let's put it that way. There were some creases in some of those, you know, protection schemes where they work off the pistol sweep action and roll the line to give Tua extra time to attack down the field. Like, you know, attached blocks that gave up creases inside for rushers to get through. You haven't seen that so far for the first three games. Uh, getting inside on some double teams with games and slants from the Bills front, and they didn't stay attached to blocks long enough really all game long. They did really well when they got their matchups on our tight ends and pass pro against defensive ends and outside linebackers. Like, those guys should beat Smythe and Julian Hill, and they did. I think the biggest thing with the Bills did was flow really well at the second level. It's these linebacker driven teams are our nemesis. It seems like, and just found ways to knife inside for big plays. Like the second Raheem fumble, we had guys out wide, but they shot the B and C gaps. It's kind of like the mechanics of running backs and pass protection, right? Like you need to eliminate inside pressure. First, the most important rusher is the most immediate threat to your quarterback. And in the running game, like they just made the outside blocking irrelevant because they were able to knife in and cut that thing down before it got stretched out wide. And then those, creases that broke through in pass pro those are plays where we typically get much longer setups and have some shots with slow developing routes but if the quarterback has to move off the spot it messes with the timing of the play and becomes a broken play and that's if he can shake free of the initial coverage or pressure I should say all right so we've been waiting for this all podcast right let's talk about Liam Eikenberg the technique is just it's all over the place he's way too high it gets him overextended to the block at the point he's so easily discarded by guys because there's no balance there I know that on the third play of the game a two-yard run for Mostert it didn't even impact the play but you can see how it's an issue and the very next snap is the waddle catch off of deflection and once again you see the issue he comes in high his feet are way outside of his shoulders which gives you no base to operate no balance no power it's just not good man there's then there's a the processing factor, like a four-man rush. You've got a two-eye technique to your left, which that means he's on the inside shoulder of the left guard, and a four-eye technique to the right, which means inside shoulder of the right tackle. So nobody else inside of that. So where's the most immediate threat? The two-eye, right? That means the only real threat is that two-eye crossing your face, unless that four-eye loops all the way around, but you can pick that up because he's coming from two gaps over. And then you have help from Isaiah Wynn on your inside post because the next closest player to the left side is a wide nine technique rushing way outside to Ron Armstead's outside post. But Liam oversets inside and gives up the inside post. There's no understanding of where the help is. The technique is bad. And as far as the mental, I mean, that's the position pointing out, you know, your mic cues and your protection slides. I'm going to discontinue this because that's from the first drive alone and it just continued on the second drive. And I don't need to belabor this point on a snap by snap basis. You guys all saw it. But look, look there for the root of the issues you had in this game offensively. And I do have one more, actually. Spatial awareness. Get a feel for what might happen. There's no anticipation whatsoever. Don't go chasing waterfalls, man. I thought Rob Hunt had his worst game of the year. I thought Wynn did too. Kendall Lamb, probably too, although I thought he was fine. But that one, I can understand better. Coming off the bench cold is difficult. But I, I trust those guys to have bounce backs in the next game. Um, and then really good work by the Bills defensive tackles. You know, Wynn and Hunt have been good in pass pro this year, but they lost some one-on-ones where the Bills were able to engage and then swipe and cross face and get off those blocks and make plays. Some numbers for you here. Uh, 
Tested, no pressures on 16 pass blocking snaps. Lamb had one pressure allowed, although it was a sack on 31 snaps. Austin Jackson, just one pressure on 47 snaps. Hunt also won, win two. Both those guys played 47. So did Liam Eikenberg, but he gave up five pressures, two sacks, a hit, and two more hurries. And then Smythe had two pressures allowed with a quarterback hit. Three sacks on the offensive line. PFF credits Tua with one of those sacks as his responsibility. Um, two hits and 13 total pressures. And even as bad as I say it was, this is a defensive line who in the previous three games had 24, 12, and 26 pressures. So 13 is not terrible. And that 12 game, the Raiders like never had the ball. So that's kind of weird as well. But perspective, I suppose. They had a great plan. Tip your cap, move on, just like we're going to do here after we hear another word here from Alec Ingold on what went wrong after those first two touchdown drives and then four straight three and outs. Here's Miami's fullback once again. I think it was self-inflicted wounds. Um, you know, this offense is, is really talented. There's a lot of guys that can make a lot of plays. And um, when little details kind of start slipping and you don't have one guy pick it up uh, and then it kind of snowballs, that's where you get a three and out like that. And um, that goes back to, to the fact of just executing and focusing on your assignment. One eleventh of the team approaching the ball and being able to, to master your assignment, master your role. Um, and yeah, it's a great defense. They made adjustments. Uh, they're really assignment sound. They play on a string. That's the challenge. That's what you love about going up there and playing the Bills. You know, you know you're going to be playing a great defense that plays together and you got to be on your stuff. So uh, that was really the, the adjustment there. Last break, deep into the podcast. We'll come back on the other side and talk about the defense. Not going to get a whole lot more fun there. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We've done the offense, and I hope someone a lot smarter than me can solve this, but man... Josh Allen just had an answer at every damn turn, didn't he? There was a cater blitz where Holland came down and filled. And usually when a player caps the blitzing defender where he lines up right behind him, that's a note that he's going to blitz. But Josh Allen didn't do that. And so he shifts this empty look, or I should say Javon Holland didn't do that. Allen shifts to an empty look and then points out cater like he's blitzing. How do you know that? The defense holds its water and just kind of stays there because they didn't really adjust much at all in this game and just replaces the foot, the blitz with the football and then Knox runs through Javon Holland's tackle, which happened all day long. They hit a 30-yard run to Latavius Murray with 13 personnel against two high. That's a numbers disadvantage, and it produced was their left guard having a free climb up on David Long, and that's right where the run goes. Then we miss a tackle at the third level, and Long hey, stop jumping the strong side part of the play. Stay weak and, and honor your gather. He's been doing that way too often. I think this is the biggest reason for these explosive plays. And I think Coach has mentioned this, but guys jumping out of structure to make a play and leaving a massive vulnerability. On that first touchdown, Javon's already checked off his backside help roll and starts flowing to the post where Xavier Howard's covering Stephon, or uh, I think Gabe Davis. But still, Brandon Jones stays inside despite the fact that he has half-field perimeter responsibility just bails on it and it's way too easy on a wheel route with a dummy screen or slip screen to uh the flat that pulls justin bethel up but jones has to stay home there i'm not like some pro evaluator but i know what most coverages look like i'm not really sure what the coverages were most time in this in this game it just didn't look structurally sound at all on the front, we couldn't get off blocks. The pass rush has to be way better with one-on-one chances against this quarterback and this offense in particular. I thought Wilkins had a rough start but got some pass rush going later. But the truth is that he and Sealer they made some plays, but we need more from those guys, especially the way the system operates. Uh, Deshaun Hand got a lot of snaps and just didn't, didn't play very well, to be quite fair about it, I guess, or nice about it. Uh, the linebackers... 
Jerome Baker was rough, man. Like his processing was slow, and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of physical urgency there, like kind of jogging after the ball. Don't love seeing that. Uh, Long's not been a whole lot better himself, man. Like I mentioned it, he continues to put himself in the wrong gap and abandons the lane that then opens up a bend back for the running back. Now he did shoot the gap correctly a few times and make some big plays. Like I got all excited about this off season, but I'm starting to see the consistency thing that Vic Fangio is talking about. Sometimes it's great. Other times it's like, can't win with it ball. Then Duke Riley checks in and gets, you know, worked as the conflict defender. Bradley Chubb is doing these spot drops that he's like covering grass or sometimes going to the same portion of the field, but Baker's hanging out in the hook zone. I don't get those. And the secondary, again, don't know what Brandon Jones doing in that long touchdown. And then the tackling was just terrible. Uh, Cater got lost in trail technique a few times, but you know, I, I'm not calling that long touchdown from Diggs on him because first off we blitzed Allen and had enough time to triple hitch up in the pocket, like 3.75 seconds on the clock of time to throw. It's way too long when you're not scrambling. And Deshaun Hand just gets, he's chilling on the ground. Raekwon Davis is running around having a good time. Jerome Baker's got Velcro on his jersey. And then off the edge, Ogba and Van Ginkle get chipped. And they trusted their one-on-ones inside versus Raekwon, Hand, and Baker. And if we can't figure out a way to win those pass rush reps, teams are going to do that all the time over and over again. Like, it's going to be incumbent, I think, upon 94 and 92 to just get going. Uh, my last note for the bad was Javon Holland's tackling was not good, like wrap and finish, man. And then X, not many targets, but I thought he was glued to Gabe Davis much of the day. Some good reps just staying with him, falling off in zone and picking guys up. thought he was in great shape to the post in that first touchdown pass they threw. He had 29 coverage snaps and just eight yards allowed uh, on PFF. Some more PFF here. Uh, Cater, 29 coverage snaps, 101 yards allowed, two touchdowns. That's his worst day as a pro. David Long, 26 coverage snaps, 90 yards, not good. Uh, Chubb and Gink both had four pressures each. Then Wilkins, Long, Baker, Ogba all had one apiece. And then run stops, Gink, Long, and Sealer all had three run stops. Bethel had two and a handful of guys had one. Let's do this with McDaniel, and we'll do snap counts after and be out of here. But here's Mike McDaniel on the level of concern he feels about his defense at this point of the season. My foremost concern is that what I know to be fact, regardless, you know, I, we, we are 3-1, and one and two of those wins um, came with, uh, you know, bottom line, the defense was on the field um, to win the game, so to speak, uh, both in the Chargers and New England. So... Um, like every season, first and foremost, I know it, nothing matters during the course of the season if you're not progressing and getting better. And I, my concern um, would be if what's ha- what happened to us on this previous game, we didn't absolutely get better from. Because I know uh, the journey is long, and at the end of it, for the season to be worth anything, um, you have to be in big games and be at your best, and those things that happened on Sunday can't happen. So um, I, I have the utmost faith in the defensive coaching staff and our players, and i you know, very candid and let them know that my expectation is that um, we aren't that team that continually does the same thing, makes the same mistakes. And then, you know, I, I really, really want to see guys, um, you know, come together in their journey and uh, understand that not one play player has to make a play on each play. I think there's some of that too where, where guys are have, have a high standard. Um, they can feel during the game that the, it's not living up to their standard. So, all right, well, I'm going to go get um, – uh, I'm going to go strip the ball from this ball carrier and then 
not get the ball carrier down um, and that leak for seven more yards. Things of that nature of guys just trying to make a play. Um, you know, they, we, they need to um, – all the entire locker room, they need to really come together as, as a group, and we need to as a defense um, play better team defense. And there's – that's the great thing about this game. There's nowhere to hide. So, like, it is what it is, and um, that doesn't bother me. Uh, you get beat 48 to 20. Um, you should uh, you, sh- you should know coming into the building that things have to get cor- corrected, and that's not to our standard. So um, I think we're on that process. I think the meetings have been good today, and um, we'll see what that brings forth on Wednesday. I just feel like the issues were three-pronged, bad schema, bad execution, and then Josh Allen being on an absolute heater. Like he played like crap in the playoff game, right? Not this one, and we paid for it. So there you go. Let's go ahead and do snap counts real quick and get out of here. So we saw the entire offensive line besides T-Stead go the distance as well as Tua. So Kendall Lamb gets a good workload there with how many? 43 snaps. HN was the leading running back snap taker. He played 60% compared to Mostert's 43. Maybe you see more of that going forward. Waddle and Hill played both 75% of the snaps. Berrios played 50%. And then Cedric Wilson, 35. So he goes from inactive to 35%. I think you missed what you had in Ezukama and Craycraft in this game. Ingle, just 31% of the snaps. Kind of a game where you can't do too much 21 personnel. And same thing with Julian Hill, just 15% of the workload. And then Chosen played 28% of the snaps. On defense, we had three guys go the distance. The two safe, or rather, Brandon Jones, uh, Cater Cohun, Xavier Howard, Javon Holland played all but three snaps in the game. And then Long was your by far your most prominent linebacker. He played 93% of the snaps compared to Baker's 76. So a little bit of a benching there for Baker at one point, which was filled in by 31% workload from Duke Riley. Uh, Chubb and Gink played both uh, 80% of the snaps, give or take. Sealer and Wilkins played 75%. Bethel, 67%. Raekwon, 40%. Um, Hand, 28%. To Ogba's, 28% as well. So it looks like they're trying to kind of figure things out right now, which I guess is the point of this time of season of the season. But it's got to get a lot better on that side of the football. I think they'll find it eventually. We have reinforcements coming here soon with hopefully Jalen Phillips, hopefully Jalen Ramsey, Nick Needham as well. So plenty of guys to look forward to getting back off the injury report there. Let's get out of here, guys. That's a long podcast. I appreciate you guys staying with me here for this very, very long edition of the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, you know, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Follow on social at Wingfield NFL at Miami Dolphins. Check out my guy Seth and Juice in the Fish Tank, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina Cameron, Daddy's coming home.